<laughs> wow. That's it. I asked the Woodies to come as my uh, cheer squad this morning, so thanks, guys. How good is it to be together as a church, you know? Current season we're in with a pandemic when many people can't meet, but God has graced us with the ability to meet, so what a privilege. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verse 15. If you're new and visiting us uh, this morning, you might not realise we're in the middle of a series on Colossians, and uh, we're actually pausing here in Colossians to look at a really crucial, important theme in the letter to the Colossians, uh, one that I think is often overlooked. And so we're going to camp out here for actually two weeks and look at the theme of thankfulness. Uh, Our passage today, in fact, mentions thankfulness several times. So I'm going to read just a few verses, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, and then I'm going to pray for us. This is the word of God to us this morning, church. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You join with me in praying. Lord God, this morning as your people, we just want to come with thanks. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the blazing fire that is your word. And Lord, as we come before your word this morning as your people, whether present here or online listening in, we ask and we pray that you would warm our often cold hearts with affection for you this morning. Lord God, we ask you to send upon us this morning your Holy Spirit to fill us with fresh joy in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to begin with uh, an article from the Sydney Morning Herald by Michael Pascoe, and it's entitled, Australians, Whingers and Warriors. Michael Pascoe writes the following. So it's official. Australians have overtaken the Poms in the whinging stakes. And not content with being world champion whingers, we're working up our worrying act as well. Never mind Australia being an island of great relative prosperity, calm and opportunity in a stormy sea of developed world recession and austerity, 
The spirit of Hanrahan is strong upon the land. Despite their higher unemployment rate, greater poverty, miserable weather, inferior food, greater obesity, lousy beaches, lower life expectancy, warm sudsy beer, bleak economic prospects, and Coronation Street still being in production, Brits on average are more satisfied with their lives, more likely to think that said lives are worthwhile, and consider themselves happier and less anxious than the average Australian. Michael Pascoe goes on. An alternative view would be that Poms simply don't know any better. Good heavens, they nearly all follow soccer just for a start. We've become fanatical travellers, punching way above our weight on international adventure and spending. We must be doing it with our eyes closed if we can't understand our privileged international position. Indeed, it's a symptom of how spoilt we've become that a regular international holiday is considered something of a necessity. Isn't that so true? You know, it's a funny article, but it has a ring of uncomfortable truth about it, doesn't it? You know, despite the uncertainty of COVID, we are one of the wealthiest, most privileged nations in the history of the world. More we live in the wealthiest city of that wealthy nation, more we live in one of the wealthiest neighborhoods of the wealthiest city of one of the wealthiest nations. Our nation's beautiful. You just need to look out the window to see it. We have amazing health care. We have unparalleled safety and freedom. We have a wonderful education sector, great public transport. And yet, despite all these truths, often, as Australians, a critical spirit, a tendency towards complaining and at times ungratefulness. You know, I was thinking about myself this week and uh, I made a sort of list of some of my uh, pet peeves I thought I would share with you. These are quite fresh for me today as well, so um, you might sense that. Uh, One from... uh, Just yesterday, uh, my neighbour who smokes on the balcony and the smoke comes into my apartment and fills it. Uh, My neighbour who cooks um, yesterday, again as well, a cold barbecue right near my window, again filling my entire uh, unit with smoke. The neighbour above me who seems like they tap dance uh, upstairs in the night and who overfills their pot plants with water so it floods down onto my balcony. Let's talk about traffic and uh, Pennant Hills Road, a Sydney classic. We love to complain about that. Bad parkers, slow parkers, uh, nervous drivers just in general. Uh, People who fly down my street, Arara Street, at 60 kilometres an hour, though it's a closed private road, and as I'm edging my car out at one inch per minute out of the car parking spot and I'm blind to see them, find someone whiz straight past in front of me. Um, People who try to overtake me while I'm clearly attempting to reverse park. Um, People who skip in front uh, at Audi on the premise that they have only one item but fail to disclose that that one item is actually a complicated return. 
Uh, People who drive down the end of Lucinda Road, just down the road, and try to turn left onto the freeway, contrary to the sign. Motorbikes in perfectly good car parking spots. A few of my pet peeves, I wonder if you share with them as well. They're kind of funny, and yet examples at the same time of the grumbling spirit that I think can pervade my life and our culture here in Sydney. Here's a really difficult question for us to think about this morning. Would those who know you best describe you as a thankful person? You know, here's the truth. I think most of us know thankfulness is a good quality and something we should have as Christians, right? But kind of not that important. Uh, Sue Lutz, in her excellent article, writes the following. She says this. She says, in a society of high expectations and instant gratification, people who are thankful for the good things in life seem rather quaint, naive, sweet, and sentimental. Thankfulness seems like a mindset for people whose lives revolve around politeness and thank you notes. It's an even tougher sell when we think about being thankful in the midst of painful circumstances. Then the encouragement to be thankful seems insensitive, even cruel. You know, to our culture, thankfulness seems sweet, but naive. Polite, but kind of quaint and old-fashioned. Not something of great importance, though, right? Wrong. You know, for the next two weeks, we're going to be taking a deeper look at true thankfulness, what it really is, where it comes from, and why it matters. Next week, we're going to be looking at how we can grow in thankfulness. But you see, thankfulness is meant to be one of the primary markers of the people of God. More, the presence or absence of thankfulness is a great litmus test of the state of your spiritual health. Thankfulness, you see, is not a peripheral issue in the Christian life. It's vital. I've entitled this message, for those that are taking notes, True Thankfulness. And uh, this is our part one. We're going to look at understanding thankfulness. Three points this morning, if you're taking notes. But one real hope for us this morning, and that is this, that we would see that true thankfulness comes from having a true perspective. True thankfulness comes from having a true perspective. Well, let's dive into point number one, a true perspective. Now, clearly one of the most important encouragements Paul is trying to give the Colossians is to be thankful. In fact, in our passage, we see it three times. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. That the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
To begin our conversation this morning on true thankfulness, there's a question I think we need to begin with, and that is, well, what does thankfulness even mean? You know, most people, when they think of thankfulness, they think of, you know, being grateful, expressing thanks for something, keeping a list of nice things in your life that you feel thankful for that you have. And you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to feel that way. Just look to the common hashtag that's been so popular in recent years, hashtag blessed. Uh, Thankfulness is something quite common in our culture. In the Bible, the word that's most often translated as give thanks, in particular in the New Testament in our passage, is eucharisto. It's a word based on the root word charis, which means grace, unmerited kindness. It's also related to the Greek word kara, which means joy. So in the New Testament, grace, thanksgiving, and joy are all related words. My definition of thankfulness is that thankfulness is a joyful response to receiving kindness. And as Christians, we should have a special kind of thankfulness because we know God in and through Christ. And we've seen the amazing kindness that he has shown us at the foot of the cross. It should floor us. Mary Moller, in her excellent book, Growing in Gratitude, writes the following. She says, gratitude is a rich theological issue. The presence or absence of it in our lives is very telling. It truly is a big deal. I'm not talking about count your many blessings, name them one by one kind of gratitude to God. I'm talking about a deep sense of awe ingrained in our minds. I'm talking about an awareness in every waking moment of the glorious truth that the God of the universe is infinite in all his perfections and he loves us. You know, as Christians, as those that have come to know Christ, we ought to have this incredible awe that we've come to know him and be loved by the God of the universe. You know, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says this, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, the word translated here as abounding means overflowing, excelling. You know, as we live following Jesus and trusting in his grace, we're to be overflowing with thanksgiving. We're to have this genuine joy and a gratefulness that marks our lives. But here's the question. Is that your experience? Are you overflowing with thanksgiving. You know, maybe like many of us, this morning when you think you can remember a time when that would describe you. Maybe you were new in your faith and you had this fresh zeal and faith in the Lord Jesus and excitement for him. And yet maybe now you've found yourself growing something a little bit lukewarm, maybe even cold. Now, my prayer is that as we look at this topic, God would rekindle our heart and affection for him and our thanksgiving over the next couple of weeks. But this call to be overflowing with thanksgiving, to abound in thanksgiving, isn't even the most radical call to thanksgiving in the New Testament. Read this one with me. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says the following. Rejoice always. 
pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in every single circumstance. Wait, what? How is that even possible? Give thanks in all circumstances. That is God's will. Give thanks when I'm diagnosed with cancer. Give thanks when a loved one of mine dies. Give thanks when I lose my job. Give thanks when pandemic strikes. Give thanks when I'm ridiculed for my faith. Give thanks when my kids walk away from Christ. Give thanks when I'm ill and in pain. How can we possibly make sense of this? Well, here's the truth. I'm not qualified to tell you how this is possible from my own experience. You know, I'm an ungrateful person growing in thankfulness by God's grace. I haven't suffered much at all through this life. But I know someone who is qualified to explain this. And in fact, we need to hear what he has to say in order to understand true thankfulness. You see, to understand true thankfulness, we need to sit with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper. Luke, in Luke chapter 22, verse 17, writes this. It says of Jesus... And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the Last Supper, Jesus took wine and he took bread. And before sharing them, he gave thanks. I just want us to stop for a moment and think about what the wine and the bread symbolize. They symbolize his blood that was just about to be poured out. The bread symbolizes his body that was just about to be crushed. Jesus is pausing then to give thanks to God for his impending sacrificial death. Jesus is pausing to give thanks for his impending humiliation. He's pausing to give thanks for his suffering, his torture, 
the wrath he was about to endure, the worst suffering in the history of the universe was before him and he stopped to give thanks. How on earth could Jesus give thanks for that? The answer, Eucharisto, Charis, grace. He saw it as grace. He saw what was about to take place as the kindness of God. You see, Jesus had such an intimate relationship with his Father in heaven. He was so close to him, so perfectly in tune with him. He knew everything that comes from his Father's hands has a good and a gracious purpose. And so the Lord Jesus could give thanks, even for the cross, because he intimately trusted his Father. He saw the gracious purposes of God. The famous theologian Jonathan Edwards calls this kind of true thankfulness gracious gratitude. You see, there's a kind of thankfulness that is more common in this world, what Jonathan Edwards calls natural gratitude, and that is thankfulness for gifts received. You know, we're right to thank God for his good gifts to us. We're right to count our blessings. But if there's no deeper foundation to this. Take all the gifts away and there will be no more thankfulness. And yet, the difficult truth is that so often this is how we relate to God. I was thinking this week, you know, it's coming up to six years that Charlotte and I have been married. But imagine the time when I was about to propose to Charlotte and I've bought this really expensive, beautiful ring for her and I'm anxiously rehearsing my lines before I ask her to marry me. And imagine it comes to the day when I'm going to ask for her hand in marriage and I get down on one knee and I pop open the box and I give her the ring. And imagine if she takes that ring and turns away and begins to glory in it. Look at this beautiful ring. It's just what I've always wanted 18 carats of gold, and wow, look at the size of that diamond. Isn't that an amazing, beautiful diamond? I've always wanted such a precious, beautiful ring. But imagine if she never then comes to me to thank me. What if she never says in that moment a word of appreciation or thanks for who I am? I'll tell you how I would feel. Confused? Disappointed? And yet that is a picture of how often we relate to God. See, true thankfulness, gracious gratitude, it's relational. It's grounded in a deep relationship with God. It's thankfulness for who the giver is. It's not interested in the gifts received, but the giver himself, his character and his love. It sees the glorious majesty and power and wisdom and goodness of God, and it deeply trusts him. It sees his love, grace, and affection, particularly at the cross, and it's amazed by it. 
And so when disease or suffering or death or pain or difficulty arise, it doesn't panic or complain. It trusts. It sees behind the dark cloud the smiling face of God. And it rejoices. And it gives thanks. Just as Jesus saw the greatest evil and suffering that would ever be right before him and gave thanks to God for it. You see, true thankfulness is not easily swayed. It's not based on circumstance, but trust in the person and work of God. Now, John Piper puts it excellently this way. He says, God is not glorified if the foundation of our gratitude is the worth of the gift and not the excellency of the giver. If gratitude is not rooted in the beauty of God before the gift, it is probably disguised idolatry. May God grant us a heart to delight in him for who he is so that all our gratitude for his gifts will be the echo of our joy in the excellency of the giver. Isn't that so true? And you know what, friends? Here's a glorious truth this morning. The true nature of God has been revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who gave thanks in the upper room for the bread and for the wine, who counted a joy to lay down his life for us. What a deep abiding trust that ought to create in us. What unshakable gratitude and joy we ought to have. And that's point number one. True thankfulness comes from having a true perspective of God, that he is gracious, that he is loving, that he's kind, that he's sovereign and always working for our good. But not just point number one, a true perspective of God, but point number two, a true perspective of ourselves. You know, the more I've contemplated my struggle with thankfulness this week, the more I've realized that one of the biggest obstacles to thankfulness we face in this neighborhood is entitlement. And entitlement is something that is owed to you, something you deserve. It's your right. And living in wealthy Upper North Shore Sydney, or even by virtue of being Australian, there can be this ever-increasingly long list of things we can assume that we deserve. Things like owning a home, or being comfortable, or having a tertiary education, or being able to follow your desires, or nice clothing, or private health insurance, or a career of my own choosing, or fast internet, or annual holidays, or take-out coffee, or reliable public transport, or even friends at school. Or even on a more basic level, having food to eat, having good health, having a place to sleep, to be safe, or to even have running water. You know, though a significant portion of people in the world don't have access to any of these things, we can feel as though we deserve them. And we can assume them. But to grow in true thankfulness towards God for who he is, we need to remove this cultural assumption of entitlement and consider who we really are from scriptures. Now, our sense of entitlement, our lack of gratitude, goes right back to the very beginning. 
In Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God had been so generous toward the man and the woman in the garden. He'd given them an abundance of trees. He'd given them his presence, his rule, and his reign. But the lie of the serpent was, he's holding out on you. You deserve this. And so ungratefulness led them to disobey God. You know, in the Bible, ungratefulness towards God is the mark of those who don't know God and are facing his judgment. Romans 1 verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. One of the primary marks of those who are spiritually dead and therefore do not really know God is that they do not give thanks to him. Rather than thanking God, they glory in his gifts, in creation. Verse 32 says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You know what? Here's the amazing truth this morning, church. If you're a follower of Jesus, that was your story. We were all part of ungrateful humanity. We were all worshipping creature rather than creator. And yet Jesus paid in full on the cross the penalty we deserve. He raised us up to new spiritual life through the Holy Spirit. He joined us to himself forever and he adopted us into his family. What's that got to do with thankfulness? Here's the thing. If you can see yourself rightly, that what you deserve is punishment, that what you deserve is wrath, is death, but that God has been so richly merciful to you in Christ, every day is an undeserved blessing. To see ourselves rightly apart from Christ, that we deserve death and wrath and punishment, means we're entitled to nothing. Not to food or water, healthcare, 5G, holidays, let alone forgiveness, adoption, eternal life, reconciliation with God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Every day, even our worst day, is filled with undeserved mercies. Charles Spurgeon puts it so well when he says this, as long as a man is alive and out of hell, he can't have any cause 
to complain. Isn't that so true? As long as a man is alive and out of hell, he can have no cause to complain. You see, a right view of ourselves ought bring thankfulness towards God for the wonderful grace he's extended towards us. As C.J. Mahaney has famously said, every day is better than I deserve. You know, I first heard of that phrase, was a recipient of the teaching of C.J. Mahaney on this topic more than 10 years ago. And that's a truth that changed my life. And I believe God has used to make me more thankful. To see that the reality of the gospel means that every day is far better than I deserve. And that's the kind of culture we want to continue to have and build here in this church, a community of people that are blown away by the mercy of God towards us. You see, that's point number two. True thankfulness comes not just from having a true perspective of God, but of ourselves as well. We daily receive more than we deserve. But not that, just that. Point number three, a true perspective of not just God, not just ourselves, but also of others as well. You see, the context for the call to thankfulness in our passage today is actually Paul appealing for the unity of the church. Read with me again verse 15. He says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. See, the peace of Christ, the peacemaking work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, it's meant to rule, it's meant to be the umpire in our hearts, it's meant to be the decisive factor in all of our thinking. You see, they've been called to be united together as one body, and as the peacemaking example of Jesus' rules, it's meant to lead to thankfulness. But why does Paul appeal to the Colossians to be unified and thankful? Why does he need to do that? Well, the answer is they were clearly tempted to be divided and to grumble about others. It's so easy to look around at others within the Jesus community and be reminded of a long list of complaints. Disappointments. Disappointments for being overlooked. Disappointments at feeling unwelcome or tolerated. Disappointments about things you'd hoped to be a part of and you haven't been included. It's easy to be offended. Offended by harsh comments directed at you. Offended by a betrayal of confidence. Offended by dishonesty. It's easy to be frustrated, frustrated by someone's lack of commitment, frustrated by someone's slow progress in change, frustrated by someone who just seems unreliable and is struggling to even keep to their word. You know, each one of these observations might be true. But if that's all we see, when we look around the church community, we don't have a true perspective. You know, when Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, he knew they were facing many problems. There were factions and divisions, people getting sloshed at communion, rank sexual immorality, not just existing, being celebrated. There was worldliness, there was arrogant and divisive leaders and people suing each other, just to name a few things. And yet he begins his letter with this. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. I give thanks to my God always for you. Paul says, whenever I pray, I always give thanks to God for you. I'd be saying, guys, hey, I'm looking forward to the day when I can give thanks to God for you. But that is not what Paul says. He says, I always thank God for you. How on earth can he always be thankful for this scrappy bunch of immature Christians? Verse 4, I always give thanks to my God for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you've been enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul could give thanks because of the grace of God that was given them in Christ Jesus. Paul could see that they had genuine faith in Christ despite all their failings and that the Holy Spirit filled them and had given them everything they need and that God would carry them through to the end. See, Paul had a true perspective. He could see that because of the gospel, God was at work in them. Kevin Corley says the following. He says, there is a tremendous lesson for us here as we speak the truth in love. There will always be plenty to be discouraged by in our culture, churches, and families. And we could easily fall into negative, pessimistic, critical attitudes. But because of our confidence in the faithfulness of God through Christ, listen to this, we will always have abundant reason for hopeful gratitude. Because of our confidence in the faithfulness of Christ in others, we will always have reason for abundant, hope-filled gratitude. Friends, here's a question I want you to think about. As you consider those that you're doing life with in your family, in your gospel, gospel community, in our church, are you more aware of the power and presence of God or areas in need of change. It's so easy in our culture to be a fault finder and to nitpick with others. But Sovereign Grace, we we want to continue to be a family of grace detectives, constantly looking with eyes of faith for evidence of grace. It's not about wishful thinking or being fake. It's an expression of faith in the power and presence of Christ in every Christian. And here's the truth. Our frustration with other Christians is nearly always more about us than them. It's about our lack of a true perspective of God. It's about our struggle for confidence in the faithfulness of God. It's about our struggle to truly believe that he's present and powerful and working. 
in our lack of true perspective of self as well, our, for me personally, short-term memory loss, how I forget the thousands of ways that I've struggled and yet the kindness of God towards me. You see, the presence or absence of thankfulness in the life of a Christian is a wonderful diagnostic tool that is second to none in revealing the spiritual health of a person. Why? Because it reveals what you really believe about God. It reveals whether you believe he's powerful, whether you believe he's present, gracious, wise, or good. Because if these are true, we ought always be thankful. See, when we look out at any community of believers, there really ought to be so much to be thankful for. Christ is present. There is a miraculous work of new birth in the life of every person who is trusting in Christ. There is the unstoppable work of the gospel of grace. And so we need God's help to give us a true perspective, not just of God and ourselves, but others as well. Well, in closing, we live in a culture that is prone to complaint. We live in the age of entitlement where the luxuries of a previous generation are today an expectation. And when it comes to thankfulness, even as Christians, it's easy to be dismissive. Ah, that's cute. That's quaint. Pop it on the list. But the truth is, thankfulness is of deep theological significance. There's possibly no quality that better displays our true spiritual state. The presence or absence of thankfulness reveals, like nothing else, what we really believe about God, ourselves, and others. See, thankfulness displays our perspective on God, whether we believe he's gracious and loving and kind and sovereign and working for our good. Thankfulness displays our perspective on ourselves, whether we believe we were lost and spiritually dead, objects of wrath saved by grace, daily receiving abundantly more than we deserve. And thankfulness displays our perspective of others, whether we believe those who trust in Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit, with God working in them, and that God will finish what he started. Well, friends, let's pray that God would help us have a true perspective that we might be truly thankful. Would you join with me in praying? Lord God, we want to thank you this morning once again for your grace. Lord, when we think of the Lord Jesus in that upper room with his disciples, holding the bread and the wine, knowing what they represent, and yet pausing to give you thanks for it. Lord God, what amazing grace is displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ. What amazing kindness and love that he would count it as such a joy to go to the cross for us. What a beautiful plank. Lord God, as your people this morning, we just ask and pray. Continue to help us, Lord. Help us day after day after day gaze at you with eyes that are filled of faith, seeing you rightly. And may the fruit of it be a people filled with thanks, ever living 
we praise. We praise in Jesus' name.